Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, no matter where you're listening, around the world, this is Sedona Talk Radio. Welcome to Evolution Revolution with Dulcinea. It is Thursday, March 6, 2008. Tonight is a new moon. Set positive intentions to create the manifestations of your inner desires. The force of gravity abundantly supports you, opening wonderful new energetic gateways. Evolution Revolution is focused on offering the listeners intuitive and balanced information that fosters transformation both personally and globally, ultimately raising the consciousness on planet Earth. Thank you for joining the show this evening, wherever you may be listening. I am a metaphysician, clairvoyant and clairaudient intuitive, writer, public speaker, leader, healer, and spiritual teacher. I am honored to have on the show tonight Dr. Barbara Cundin, the author of The Dreamer's Dictionary, which is the result of Barbara's curiosity about dreaming since she was the young age of six. Barbara felt compelled to understand her dream experiences, so she began her studies with Christianity, then psychology, and then metaphysics. Dr. Kundrin has discovered the point of origin where dreaming is both art and science. She has called dreaming the most commonly experienced form of intuition available to human beings. Dreams are the key for realizing the multidimensional nature of consciousness, according to Barbara. Dr. Kundrin has taught universal principles, such as the development of consciousness and lucid dreaming to people of all ages, cultures, faiths, and nationalities for over 30 years at the School of Metaphysics, a 501c3 not-for-profit service and educational organization, that exists to aid any individual who is willing to put forth the effort to create wholeness within the self, thus accelerating the evolution of humanity. During the next hour, Barbara and I will be discussing her role at the School of Metaphysics, and she will offer an in-depth look into one of her most recent exciting projects called the Global Lucid Dreaming Experiment. This experiment has received national and international interviews and has participants from all seven continents, including Antarctica, truly offering a global result. The energy that has been generated by this experiment is waking people up through the power of their dreams. So how phenomenal this experiment is quite exciting for many reasons. And with the new moon tonight, does the moon affect our dreams, Barbara? (laughs) (laughs) It absolutely does. That's what we're exploring, and we're finding um, really quite some phenomenal things already. We've been doing this is the fourth and final um, evening of this particular experiment. There have been people, 228 people across the the whole world, actually, in in 18 different countries and 31 states in the United States. seven continents, as you mentioned, that are participating. And we started at January 22nd, and we've been going with each cycle of the moon, whether new or full. And we chose this particular period of time because um, it put together some um, unique opportunities that, that do cycle. It's not like it's you know once every thousand years or something. But um, January 22nd was a, a, a moon where um, it was a – 
I think the 22nd was a full moon. And no, it was a, yeah, it was a full moon. And we had a full moon and then we had a new moon with a solar eclipse, which is relatively rare. It doesn't happen often. Then we had a, a full moon that was eclipsed, which was our lunar eclipse that we just had the 20th of February. And then, of course, you just mentioned that tonight is a new moon. Um, and so we have both our, our baseline, which is the full moon without any kind of other effects, and then the full moon that is a lunar eclipse moon. Then we have the new moon tonight, and we have the new moon of a month ago, which was a solar eclipse moon. So we have a lot of um, basic data that we're collecting about who's dreaming, when, what they're dreaming about, um, if they're um, lucid dreams or if they're just remembered dreams and things of that nature. And we're looking at all different kinds of factors here, and it's quite remarkable what we're already seeing, and we don't even have all the data in yet. Um, it, one of the things, for instance, one of the things that really struck me with the lunar moons were um, the lunar eclipse moons was over well over 50% of the people dreamed about food food in some way. Uh, one dream had a recipe in it. One one dream had a person putting together a casserole with broccoli and rice and things like this. And there was a wedding reception where food was involved. There was um, people eating. There were grocery stores, uh, kitchens, all kinds of connected imagery to food, which um, from where we come from with our research, which spans four decades now, um, that makes a lot of sense because food in a dream represents knowledge. And if anything, the people who have really done wonderfully with this experiment, um, you know, for, for relative strangers that don't even know each other, um, coming together like this in an effort to give humanity a reflection of itself in terms of what dreams mean and what uh, import they have in our lives and things of that nature, and to do it on a global uh, level like this is quite remarkable. Uh, most dream studies are not this big by any means. Um, and we're pretty proud of the fact that it's this large, and we expect it to get larger as, as we keep going through the years because we're going to keep doing this. Um, the Internet allows us to do that, as I'm sure you understand that. So those kinds of factors are, are coming forward in the research from uh, the dreams that people are reporting in. And it was also kind of remarkable that um, it was a very kind of black, white, yin-yang um, effect with the lunar dreams that I really didn't expect to happen. Many of the people who had been remembering dreams previously did not remember dreams with the lunar eclipse um, time. And that was kind of surprising to me because I thought they really would. And, and in fact, those numbers went down as, um, as the ones who did remember dreams tended to remember many dreams, not just one, but many dreams. I know my experience that night was that it, it, I didn't get much rest because constantly all night long it was one thing after another either dream messages or, or inner level kind of uh, communications or whatever and um that was pretty much par for the course with a lot of the dreamers that night um they didn't have just one dream that they remembered it was a sequence of dreams there was one lady in um turkey who is participating and she had seven dreams i was just working on those before i i called in to you tonight and working with the interpretations of those. So it's phenomenal what we're discovering. Um, and I really think once we get the information together and hopefully by um, by mid-April at least we'll be sending out some notices and press releases and articles all over the place so that people can know what we've discovered and hopefully be stimulated to do their own research. Great. That is so exciting. So hopefully when you return on April 10th we can have some idea. And we, oh, that'd we can be great. share that back that evening. Wonderful. That would be uh -huh. absolutely. That'd be great. Great. So how did you attain such a global sample for the experiment? Um, 
We have a website. The School of Metaphysics has actually three websites. Um, one of them is called dreamschool.org. And that dream school has uh, that website has been up for it's in its eleventh year right now. It's been up for ten years, and we have made it um, our goal. One of our goals we have many at the school of metaphysics. One of them is to interpret a dream for every man, woman, and child on the planet. Yes. And that's pretty you know it's a pretty big dream. But we have a lot of years here ahead of us, and we have a lot of people that are willing to do that. And so um, we're dedicated to it. And that's probably the most important. Um, I guess the most important effort that you can put forth is to be dedicated to whatever you're doing. So we've been interpreting dreams for people literally all over the world for 10 years, and it's grown. Um, some of the people who are in the experiment are people that have met us through Dream School. Some of them are people who are currently studying um, the course of study that the School of Metaphysics offers in uh, 16 cities throughout the Midwest. Um, some of them are in other countries, as um, we talked about, and those are people who have actually – Dulcinea, I think really when you get down to it, I think in many cases they've been drawn to it through universal law, um, through the law yes. of attraction, you know, through the law of relativity. Um, many of these people have been studying dreams of, on their own. Some of them have thousands of dreams recorded. Some of them, um, this, this particular experiment is pretty heavy on what we call frequent and lucid dreamers, which means that most of the people by far, I would say probably over 75%, um, remember the dreams quite often and pay attention to them. And then from that group, many are lucid in their dreams. So this is different from the, the first experiment we did, which was last year in April. Um, that, that we had a, a wider kind of um, look at the dream recall upon the part of people. Um, we had more people who said that they really don't pay a whole lot of attention to dreams and don't remember them very often. Mm -hmm. uh, we had people that every once in a while I remember dreams. We had a, a more balanced um, survey or, or, you know, yeah, sample of people. And um, this one with the, with the moon experiment, I think part of it probably is because it required a higher level of dedication. Uh, yes. It wasn't just a one-time thing. You know, it took uh, staying with us over four different kinds, you know, four different times every two weeks yes. you had to report in. And people have been wonderful with that. Um, they really have been very cooperative, and they've given us uh, more than we could have really hoped for, actually, in the, in the experiment itself. So um, a lot of the people that are participating this time, and the worldwide people as well, are people that um, have been following their dreams already. Some of them are members of the International Association um, for the Study of Dreams. And in fact, we've been invited to their conference in Montreal in July oh, to present our findings. Yeah, it's great. That our national so president, exciting. Dr. Laura Clark, you're going to talk with her, I think. Um, yeah. She's going to be there and she's going to present those. Yeah. So Wonderful. we're very excited about that. Oh, congratulations. Mm -hmm. Yay. So you're, so you're yeah. getting out there. And people are, I, I we think it's a lot of attraction, really bringing in the people who can help bring you the, the results the universe desires to present. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Wonderful. So are you finding that interviews is the primary variable? Is that the, the main way that you're bringing in the information through the experiment is that people are filling out like a basic interview or are they just recording their experience? We've asked them to record their dreams on, on these specific moon times, the full moons and the new moons, and then to send them in to us. We, we began by collecting demographic information from them, which was very simple, um, you know, it's basic sex and background, um, occupation, if they're married, have children. Uh, there are 10 basic questions just to give us kind of a, a baseline for the science itself. And so that's told us that we have a pretty large amount of um, range of age. Um, it reaches all the way from, 
um, early 20s into the 70s. Um, we have more women than men, which is quite common in this kind of thing because women pay attention to their dreams more than men do. Um, there are reasons for that that we get into when we study mind and things of that nature. But um, yeah. we have a large um, we have a large population of, of men, which is is good. It's not quite balanced half and half, but it's closer than you might have imagined. Um, it goes down about 40, 60 percent, which is pretty good. Um, and we have the the people from different backgrounds, different religions. Um, it gives us a survey of people that really enable us to draw some conclusions that um, if it was more focalized, we wouldn't necessarily be able to get. We were kind of, we were talking last night. We had a meeting of the staff people, and um, it, we were just convincing in terms of you know wh- what do each one of us want to focus on in this experiment, and what do we want to write? You know, what do we want, want the world to know basically about what we found out? And in the course of talking about that, we were getting into um, the fact that we were we were a little bit um, weak in terms of science data on the people who don't really remember dreams very often or don't know about this experiment. In fact, one of the um, we have a, a doctor in Switzerland who is participating, um, who is an eminent person of um, you know great notoriety throughout his years in terms of dream work, and he. Um, his first communication with us, I really appreciated it greatly. He basically criticized the fact that it was difficult. He he said he thought there was a fundamental flaw in our research um, from the very beginning because we were letting people know that we were studying the relationship between dreams and moon phases. And mm-hmm. you know, it was he was absolutely true in terms of his background and the pure science that he was trying to come from. And sure. so I wrote him back and I said, thank you so much for saying that because I appreciate what you're saying. You know, I will take it into consideration in future experiments, and you're absolutely right. And then I explained to him more what we're doing where um, our science is much more open-minded. We don't really have an agenda here that we're trying to prove one way or the other. We're studying uh, and collecting data to see what the experiences tell us about ourselves as a species and to hopefully point us in directions where we can evolve humanity and homo sapiens into homo spiritus and, um, you know, a more spiritual way of being. So um, I have no doubt that the scientists will have all kinds of field day with what we put out. Uh, I think that's great because people will be talking about it more. You know, the more people criticize it, the more people think about it. So um, something that used to daunt me in my 20s is not at all affecting me in my 50s. Um, It's like, you know, I don't care what people say. I care that they're thinking and talking about it and that they're starting to pay attention to their dreams. That's what I care about. And I think that all the uh, research people on the staff share that kind of outlook. I think that's a valuable outlook. It keeps um, a lot of room for the universe to move through that and bring a lot of truth in. Absolutely. So I definitely can respect that, definitely. And, you know, um, what, I, what I was thinking about, about the research, you know, there's a real value in bringing in information that records experience. I remember in college I learned it was the Gestalt School of Thought. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it was just really about reiterating the experience. And I think that's what this type of experiment is doing, is let's record a human experience and see if we identify a trend. Is there a pattern? Versus going in and say empirically, can we say that, this outcome versus that outcome. I mean, that's valuable in some realms of science, but in this realm of science, I think letting people know other people's experience gives them to permission to open that for themselves if they so choose. So oh, I, I commend you. <laughs> I think this is great absolutely. work. Thank it's you. very important. I think so, too. What, what I found through the years in, in teaching um, through the School of Metaphysics is 
it always attracts a very wide variety of people, um, occupations, ages, backgrounds. And when you get a room full of a dozen people together who are from such varied backgrounds, they, as they talk about their experiences, as they study lessons together, as they discuss material together, as they um, practice spiritual and, and mental disciplines and then talk about what their experiences are, the, the caliber of learning that occurs within that group is phenomenal. Um, there is nothing that ever replaces it. It's amazing because the quantum leaps that people can make in consciousness through that kind of shared experience is quite amazing. And what happens is the younger ones really excite and fuel the older ones. The older ones' experience really um, adds to the, the depth and breadth of the younger ones. And we have the best that humanity can offer in that kind of situation. In, in our schooling, in a lot of the world actually, not just in the United States, but particularly here in the States, um, we segment our, our people so early. Um, you know, we put all the kids together in the same age, and so that's where they are six to eight to ten hours a day. They have no yes. way to have experiences that are shared among uh, the culture that they've incarnated into, which is, you know, when you really stop and think about that, it's really a ridiculous kind of artificial means that we've created that does not allow for the kindness, compassion, and the kind of values that we're going to have to develop um, in order to sustain ourselves you know, on this planet. And so that kind of change in education, is, is, it's coming. It has to come. Um, many people now are electing to pull their kids out of public school because of factors like that, whether they realize that's the causal reason or not. But um, you know, when you get into more like Waldorf schools, Montessori schools, private schools, uh, schools that are more um, created by the parents, you find ages that are mixing and mingling, and that's so important to the future of our planet. I couldn't agree with you more. I personally was, I am very sensitive, and as a young child I attended Montessori, and then I was changed into a Catholic school regime, which did not suit my needs whatsoever. And then I um, made a little note to my mom that I would start getting all asked if we didn't make a change. <laughs> About 10, 10 years old. <laughs> right. So we, we shifted to public school, which allowed me to really interact with, you know, many age groups once again, you mm -hmm. know, in my learning environment, especially in honors courses and such. So it was really valuable. And then, so, you know, as I've evolved, I thought, you know, I'm going to go in the school system myself and see what's going on with these children. How do we experience it? And I think the current, the current school system just really caters to the mental development and the Waldorf and the Montessori and other, you know, prototypes are really catering to the well-being of the child as a whole, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. And it's creating a balanced sense of self and creating character and values and independence, self-management. There's just so many things that are being gained from that. And I think that that is going to really, the demand is already um, growing. And I'm working with Indigo children right now currently as a spiritual coach and counselor and it's amazing. To, I just tell these parents, get these children into a program that can meet their individual needs and suit their creative talent. Right. So it's just, it's so important. And so I just really wanted absolutely. to validate that point. Yeah, absolutely. And that I find myself, too, in positions often to counsel parents who, um, with the intuitive reports that we do, particularly on health with children, um, it gives great insight into the alternatives that parents have with their children other than drugging their kids and labeling them, too, for that matter. And yes, so many yes. times, you know, I'm at the other end of phone calls or meeting 
parents that are saying, what do I do? I, I, I have to work, so I can't homeschool my kids. You know, I don't know what to do in this situation. And it's really, um, it's so dispiriting and um, dehumanizing, really, um, for so many people that experience. And we've got to learn to pull together. We've got to learn to create um, communities. We've got to bring it down to a personal level and get it off the, the federal level of what education is. Um, you know, education is very much, we've gone way the other extreme of becoming global so much. It's like, it's, it's the adage of think globally and act locally. The reality of that um, will solve many of our difficulties where, you know, we, we have the world at our command through the Internet and things of that nature, so we can find out about different cultures and we can uh, bring other cultures into our neighborhoods and things of that nature and blend and merge, and certainly the United States is a melting pot opportunity for that, which is wonderful. And we need to really bring out our greatness as a nation again. Um, we've kind of lost it. And we have within us the spirit. We have the attraction factor here in this country that still bring uh, people from all over the world who, you know, really want to get into our country. There aren't too many other countries where people are really, you know, dying to get into it. And there are people who are willing to put their life on the line to get here. And we need to honor that, those of us who have just kind of lopped into it and not really appreciated it very much, um, yeah. to, you know, take advantage of that. And it's so important in terms of how we use our mind in, in daydreaming. And it also is reflective with night dreaming. I want to get back to dreams for a second. Yes, um, yes. I was thinking um, – one of the things with with the baseline of the dreams that we didn't have the the people who don't dream very often or don't dream at all, actually we have some of those coming in because we constantly receive dreams through dream school that aren't associated with the experiments at all. Um, one of the things that we do on, on the site is we take 10 dreams each week that people have sent in to us and interpret them and then put, put them back up for people to read and to find out without their names and things of that nature, but it's anonymous how it's done. But um, if you have a dream that you want to be interpreted or, or want insight into, then, then that's part of what the site does. It, it offers that service to people. Um, and so we have those dreams that have been coming in in tandem as the experiment's been going on. So we have a researcher that's taken on that particular aspect of what we're doing to study those dreams, where those people didn't even really know that an experiment was going on or care <laughs> um, yes. because they weren't part of it. You know, So we sure. do have our control group in that way, which just kind of was brought to light. We didn't really set out to do it and you know that's part of the the um it's part of the beautiful part for me of this whole thing is that i work so much intuitively in what i do that um when the science stuff sneaks up on me like that i really um i take great pleasure in it <laughs> because yes, you yes. know it's so fortuitous you know <laughs> yes, yes i can understand yes i fully yeah. understand so I want to let the audience know we're talking with Dr. Barbara Cundren, and she is from the School of Metaphysics. We're talking today about the Global Lucid Dream Experiment. You can find her on the web at www.dreamschool.org or at www.som.org, either one. The dreamschool.org allows you to access what we're talking about today, submit your dreams for interpretation, and there's a National Dream Hotline, which is having a big weekend coming up in April. Do you want to talk about that? That's true. Every we've Let's see. This is the 20th year we've done this. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And the last weekend in April, every year, we open phone lines to, call, to talk to callers about their dreams. 
So um, we've got 16 phone lines, phone lines throughout the Midwest in 16 major cities, and then our national headquarters phone number here. And people can call from um, 6 o'clock Central Time on Friday all the way through to midnight on Sunday. Um, Any time, and the best time to call is during those wee early um, early morning hours because people think, oh, you know, I can't get through and all this kind of stuff. But it's like those are the best times to call. Um, and we talk to people literally all over the world about their dreams because we do a lot of work through emails and the website and, and through our classes. But in terms of actually, you know, manning it to be able to have people who um, have some expertise in the language of mind and can understand dreams and know about the research we've been doing and can share it, um, that's our time of year where we really mobilize to do that. And it's a, it's a great deal of fun. There's a lot of research we do then, um, you know, a lot of indications of trends and information that we get across the board. That's where we really find out what the common dreams are and the common symbols and uh, things of that nature that you find on the website that we've put up. Um, it's, it's just it's great because often um, there will be themes to dreams. Um, one year the theme was people visitation dreams, people who had died. Um, about 38% I think that year of the dreams had to do with that. And so many of the calls were somewhat emotional. Um, You know, people who had lost loved ones and who were either conflicted or wondering why they were coming back to haunt them or, or, you know, not really reaching the point of peace that most people do when they have those experiences. And um, so we never know what's going to happen. You know, we're just open to whatever comes to us and we do the best we can with um, offering the research that we have and uh, the insight that we can give people, and it, it tends to be, I think, pretty beneficial on both sides of what happens there. So sounds like a win-win. A <laughs> yeah, it is. It is, and that's, that's wonderful. Great. To live. So yeah. it will be April 25th through the 27th, 54 hours straight of answering questions. If you have a dream you'd like interpreted, and you don't go on the website prior to then, or you want to wait for the 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 weekend, the hot weekend, you can find the location nearest to you on the website. There are several numbers, or you can call the SOM World Headquarters in Missouri at 417-345-8411. But please go to the website and check it out. There's plenty of time before then to get involved and find some information. So I'd like to find out what is the value of really interpreting dreams. I know you've studied this for years, so I'd really like to give the audience the idea of why do we do this? Dreams, one of the ways that I describe dreams is that it's like having your best friend give you feedback every night on how you did during the day. Um, You know, in in kind of a scientific way, we describe it as every dream uh, is about the dreamer and it tells you about the state of your awareness. And there is a science to dream interpretation that we teach. And there's an art to it as well. You know, once you learn, I I link it very much to learning a language. Um, If you learn uh, English, if you learn any kind of physical language, then what you're learning is um, pictures and different kinds of sounds and then symbols when you actually write that reflect what those images are and what they mean. And... um, one thing that I found with our Universal Peace Covenant, uh, that's one another part of the school metaphysics work, is is the whole peace idea and the movement there and, and actually living peaceably. Um, we created a document in 1996 and 7 called the Universal Peace Covenant, which is um, an amazing document. It's um, 577 words about what creates peace. And uh, in a very clean, objective, clear 
non-judgmental, non-religious, non-prejudicial uh, way. It's it's it's. Um, we worked nine months on the document. There were over two dozen people who worked on it, two dozen spiritual um, teachers, and um, it's an amazing document. And now we have it. Uh, we have people that have translated into eight different languages, and quite often, uh, and we want more languages. As a matter of fact, sure. Um, Quite often what happens is people try to interpret it in their native tongue, and there are not words in their language to describe the very well-developed, amazing thought forms that are in this document. And there are things that we might take for granted, like words like tranquility or equanimity. These are concepts that come from an educated mind, and it requires a, a... a depth of meditative thinking to be able to even allow those ideas to rest in your consciousness, much less to affect your your speech and your actions. And it is not as commonplace as um, the educated among us might think it is. Um, that's one thing that reflects constantly back to me is that, you know, respecting and having a fairly high level of education in terms of academia um, and then working in educational realms that actually go beyond just the brain information that's developed, but actually the spiritual being developed, um, there's a big uh, gap that tends to happen there in our thinking and that that unless we actually uh, give it full attention, we don't think about it at all. And um, the Universal Peace Covenant has brought that home to me time and again with um, appreciating the fact that we are so rich in this country. Um, our English, American English, is so rich because we we absorb from all cultures. Um, we're more and more, as the years progress, we're a language that is truly global um, because we take on uh, words that that are from other cultures. We don't try to change their words. We absorb their words. And so it makes our language that much more full and rich and uh, the best that humanity has to offer. Um, That same kind of quality reflects itself in our dreams. As we begin to learn the basics, ABCs of dreams, what do the people, places, and things in my dreams signify? Then we begin to realize that the artistic part of dreams is, is how that's reflected in our own remember dream experiences. Um, it's our subconscious mind, our inner self, taking the language, feeding it back to us through the dream actions that happen that we remember as a dream, and our subconscious mind saying, here, this is what I think about your dream or your day. This is what I think about your decisions that you made. This is what I think about which aspects of you you were really pulling on and which ones you might want to uh, redefine, get rid of, or uh, adjust in some way. Um, the availability of learning the language that dreams come in um, frees the spirit to really know the self in ways that um, otherwise you would never know yourself. And that's why I call it a best friend. It's like therapy. It's like going to a, you know, a therapist every night where you get this kind of read that is beyond your waking, physical, uh, brainy kind of thinking that most people do every day. Yes, and I completely experienced that. I myself am an individual since I was very young, extremely intuitive. And so I've just used that pretty much like, uh, you know, you had mentioned through the academic world and just making my way through the world. And in, right. 2000, in 2002, I had an amazing experience in um, the Valley of Mount Shasta. I was just woke, awake. There was an awakening for me. Right. And ever since then, I receive dreams very vividly. I am woken up usually between 2 and 4 a.m. almost 
probably five nights a week at least, where I am given profound information about my next step in life, the future, like it will give me a timeline and tell me when something's going to happen. It will give me a name or a title. Mm -hmm. And one of the instances was last year in January, I was given the name of an author that Uh had written about Indigo Children, and in December, I met her. So it was, there was an 11-month delay between there, right. and I met her for the show. And it was just like, wow, I had no idea what that meant in the middle of the night, 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> but That's it was amazing, very, very it? telling. And so, yes, mm-hmm. I'm very, very, I am an avid fan of using my dreams to really guide my spiritual growth. Absolutely. And, and this, is, this is what I want to get across to everybody is that everyone can do this, um, you know, I came by it by nightmares when I was a kid. Um, yeah. One nightmare that I remembered at six, at the age of six, and that's what started me on it. It's like it would not go away. I remembered that dream. I can still remember it now very vividly. And, um, you know, the way that subconscious mind works often to, to push us in certain directions is quite remarkable in itself. And it will give us the things that we need, whoever we are and wherever we are. And sometimes it's, it's experiences like you, you're talking about, you know, at places like Mount Chasta, uh, places that are very, you know, um, potent places on the planet. Um, we're creating one of those here at our Peace Stone where we're, we're creating, uh, we're receiving native stones from all over the world, um, from people wow. all over the world. And what we're going to do is we're going to fix them onto the retaining wall of the Peace Dome. We have a release map that was actually made by children, Dulcinea. Oh. Uh, children made the release map. It's, it's 9 oh. feet tall and it's 18 feet wide. And uh, it's on the supporting retaining wall of the dome. And so our dream is that we're going to collect enough stones. And we've, we've collected um, uh, over 300 now, I think, already. Wow. From many different countries. And we still have more countries that need to be represented. Um, we're going to probably spend a whole week. Um, we figured probably one continent per day, so it would be a seven-day um, event where we will actually lay the, t- the, the stones into the release map for each of the continents. And uh, we ha- it's, it's another science. We have no idea what's going to happen in the process of actually laying the stones. Um, we yeah. have expectations of amazing healing that will occur of all kinds and natures. Um, there's already evidence of that with the Peace Dome itself. And um, the fact that we're going to have all of these parts of the planet in one place, I'm not sure. I have, I've looked on the Internet, and I haven't found yet anything else that's ever happened like this on the planet yet. Um, it may indeed be the first venture of this type, where we're not asking for you know the, the kind of merchandised, marketed stones that are polished and all that. We're asking for people to go out in your backyard and yes. pick up a stone, pick up a shell from the, from the ocean, um, and send it to us. And we want the, the real stuff from all over the planet. And I don't think that that's ever really happened where, um, you know, it hasn't been really available to us to the last, you know, 50 years or so that it could even happen. And yes. it's, quite, it's quite exciting, the prospect of what may happen when we get, you know, all these crystals and all of these natural stones, malachite, amethyst, all of them together in one place. And people can actually just be in that aura and can actually touch it. And um, there are people that come now, Dulcinea, and they, they walk up to the wall and they touch it. And there's, there's healing that goes on in them wow. and in where they're projecting energy. And there's not even, it's just concrete right now. You know, it's, it's, yes, it's yes. Ozark The intention stone. is there. The intention exactly. is there. Yes, I see it. And you know what, I, the way that I see it is, it's a treasure map with a vortex. 
and I Absolutely. see that each stone is the dot of a connect the dots line, Absolutely. and it's bringing a oneness. A, a mm-hmm. oneness and a healing vortex. So that is really fun. <laughs> My husband is chancellor of the college here, and and he is, is very dedicated to. Uh, you may want to talk to him some other time. Uh, yeah, he's written several books himself, actually. But he's I'd very dedicated to. to sacred geometry and um, oh, actually wow. creating and placing dodecahedrons and octahedrons in certain places where he's intuitively led to put them on the campus yeah. itself. And we're really creating. Um, quite an energy flow here through uh in a very mindful way that's very intentional um in both in both the buildings and how we use energy feng shui and things of that nature the kinds of buildings that we want to create here um and how the energy is being used on the land and it's it's quite phenomenal what an exciting thing so the school of metaphysics just let's have a brief overview because we're talking about all these amazing projects and intentions that are being set for it so who can go to the School of Metaphysics? Can anyone attend? Yes, they can. It's um, Great. Yeah. The only prerequisite that I talk about when I talk about the school, the only prerequisite is a desire to change. Because once you start, then what happens is you do change. <laughs> and so <laughs> the whole study itself, you know, it's it's like when you remember dreams and you act on them, you change. When you meditate and you have inspiration flow through you, you change. When you reason and you create with your conscious mind, you initiate and cause change. Um, everything about using the mind, because we distinguish very clearly a, definition, a difference between the mind and the brain. And this is something that's still not very clear in our in our everyday conversations, even in the New Age community. Um, there's still that muddiness that the brain and the mind are the same thing. We make a, a, a definite distinction between those two. The brain is an organ of the body just like the heart and the liver, and it has a function and a duty to perform that's very important and unique to it. But it is no more important than the heart. And, you know, if you work, if you work with heart mass pollution and, and some of children's work and things of, that, things of that nature, then you understand that the heart is, is a resonator that's 100 times greater than the brain to begin with. So um, mm-hmm. the brain, you give the brain its due. It's like a computer, but it's not the sure. computer operator. The computer operator works in the mind and... Um, so the mind has the ability for the intuition, for the the um, you know even teleportation and and clairaudience and uh, omniscient consciousness and enlightened states of being and mastery of consciousness and all those and that's what we teach in the school of metaphysics in a very step by step manner. It's very gentle. It gives you time and space to explore your working of mind. Um, you know, that time and space may be in exploring conscious memory. It may be in exploring um, compassion. It may be in exploring positive thinking. It may be in exploring um, chakras, you know, each one of the chakras. It may be in exploring uh, thought projection. There, the entire course is phenomenal in how it's produced and how it was put together, and it works for anyone. Our youngest student that we ever had, I think, was 14. Um, there were um, two boys 14 and 15, they weren't old enough to drive, that I taught um, oh, that years ago great. in Wichita, Kansas. Their dad, one of the dads drove them 30 miles to class every week. What and an amazing parent. Really? Well, yeah. You know, Sometimes I wonder where those guys are. They're kind of out of contact right now. But it's like, you know, now they're like, wow, 40, 40-something. Uh, yes. You know, it's kind of amazing. And we've had people as old as their as their 80s, late 80s, um, come. There was one woman who came, and typically the teacher will always ask, you know, why are you here? Why did you come? Mm-hmm. And this woman said, I came to die. Oh, she and, did. And, 
Yeah, and everybody, you know, in the mm-hmm. class had different reactions to that. But the teacher sure. understood, understood yeah. clearly that, you know, yeah. when it's your time to die, if you don't know how, then you want to know how. Sure. And so when she got to that place in the lessons where she was learning how to consciously get out of the body, consciously astral project, she died. She and it was a very peaceful die, you know, a, a very wow. peaceful death. Yeah, it's a beautiful um, transition. Absolutely. So, you yeah. know, the reason why people start studying who they are, what their background, where they come from, is as unique as people are. Um, what's, what unites us is the fact that the mind basically works the same for all of us. The content we put into it is different. But the, the state of the mind and the way we develop that, it's all the same. The laws of the universe that we use are the same laws for all of us. It doesn't matter if we're young or old or rich or poor. They, they function, they're impartial. They function very cleanly um, without any kind of, of prejudice. So that's what we study is the mind, its development of state, the universal laws that make the mind work the way it does. Um, and then you kind of go through your own content and figure out what's worth keeping and what's worth cleaning and what's worth letting go mm-hmm. of. Yeah. So it's quite a, it's quite an, it's quite a fascinating study and it, it's, um, it's amazing for people. And along the way, of course, you learn to interpret dreams and things like that. That starts from the very beginning. All the spiritual toolkits. Each class offers a new tool, and you add it to your collection and use them as needed. <laughs> Absolutely. You've got it. That's great. So I'd like to remind our audience we're speaking with Dr. Barbara Cundren from the School of Metaphysics. If you're interested in information about the School of Metaphysics or its most recent global lucid dream experiment, you can find information on the web at www www.som.org or at www.dreamschool.org. Either one will link you to the information, and we'd, she'd love to have you contact them. People can take classes um, in person or online or on the phone. Are there multiple options? There are multiple options now. Um, we just initiated a program uh, through Dream School called the Dream School Scholarship Program. And yes. it, it actually is enabling people now to uh, take a series of courses. Um, most of them are correspondence courses. Then there's a teleconferencing um, part of the course. And then there's also an on-site here at the college weekend, extended weekend, where oh. once people go through all of that, then we can certify them as a dreamologist. And um, that's a very exciting prospect. We're very excited about that. That's one of our newest um, outreaches. And it gives a way to... Um, give people the education that they need and to then back them up in that and um, make it a viable type of, of career or opportunity for people to really reach out and help other people through through interpreting dreams. Um, we have a correspondence course, which is strictly through correspondence. It has nothing to do with the net for people who don't want uh, the Internet in their lives, which there are some of those. Um, that is actually a 10-lesson program that extends over a year, and that's becoming very popular. Um, it's a lesson a month. Right. There is communication with someone here at our college. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have 16 locations where people can study once a week in the evenings. They, uh, people can work it into their lives. Some people, most people have jobs during the day, careers. Some people are students at other universities, and they take um, classes at the schools of metaphysics um, once a week. So we have a wide variety of ways. We have publications, books, tapes, things of that nature as well. Um, lots of ways to feed hungry minds. So we're pretty proud of what we've produced over 40 years, and it's it really is quality stuff. People who come to visit us here at, at the college are all, all always awed by what they see here. 
Um, and it, it gives me a really good reflection back in terms of our work because I don't often sit and just think about that. I'm too busy uh, creating <laughs> all the yes, time. Yes, um, you, you know, more and more it just kind of <laughs> takes over, as I'm sure you know. I um, do. <laughs> so the feedback from other people that come, um, Sandy Sidgbeer, who's the editor of Children of the New Earth. Um, I don't know if you know about her or not. If not, you need to know about her. Um, okay. She's a wonderful lady. She's from England. She lives in California now, though. Um, she produces a, an online magazine, two of them, actually. One called, one called Planetary Lightworker and the other called Children of the New Earth. And that's how I met her, was through um, How to Raise an Indigo Child. And she came to visit on one of our spiritual focus weekends. And she, she took me aside at the end and she said, you have something remarkable here. You have done something truly remarkable here. And this is the kind of feedback that I get from people like that, that um, who are dedicating their lives. To, they're light workers, but they yes. come here and they, they experience something different. And that I'm particularly realizing more and more, my consciousness is opening up to the fact that we've, we've talked for years about our activity here at the School of Metaphysics being teaching teachers. And I've gone through my own kind of personal evolution of what I think that means. And one of the ways that I would describe it now is that more and more our college here is becoming um, a place. Uh, you can call it a haven, I suppose, but it's, it's a place where people like yourself and people like Sandy and people like a Leonard Orr who brought rebirthing into, into the world, um, pranayama, American style, um, people that have really dedicated their entire life to truly being light workers in the real sense, um, traveling mm-hmm. the globe and touching people and healing and things, they can come here and find space. Um, some of them need to find space where um, they can reflect and they can um, commune with people that are peers if they want to, but at the same time have solitude time because sometimes that, that's very difficult for people to find who dedicate their lives to, to light and yes. to um, that kind of work. And they're still, you know, they're, we're still humans, so we still have that kind of need to. Um, rest and recuperate. It's similar to our dream states. You know, we can have interactive dream states all night long, but we also have to take that like two-hour period where we just shut down and rejuvenate because if we don't, then we burn out. And yes. um, there's a kind of respect that I'm grow that I'm that I'm growing in myself for our work here as being a place where people like that can um, the teachers, you know, the teachers who are teaching uh, the world can come and be nurtured and can um, have a space to restore their energies and to rejuvenate. And that's a very exciting prospect to me and of, of the work that I didn't really expect to happen that's really come to light in the last few years. I think part of it is the shift you know, that's going on with the 2012 and the Mayan calendar and, and the initiation of the New Age and all that. Um, and it just seems to be part of, of the way that we're fitting into it as the School of Metaphysics. So that's quite um, exciting to me. I think it is so exciting, and I think that it's very true that I, I see you as a heart, and I see you as a heart for consciousness, the center, and I think that it's just flowing light up and up and out like a um, a beautiful, like, old faithful, just up and out, and it's just light, and I see it as, um, you know, beautiful purple and gold. So I see Thank it's a you. beautiful energy, yes, that you're producing, and I do believe I was connected with the School of Metaphysics by the divine, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, I have come across your book and I had come across Dharma and I, you know, I've just been talking with other people and I just think the work that you're doing there is such a fundamental 
element to really helping produce the global shift in consciousness. So I thank you for what you're doing there, and I fully support you in all ways. <laughs> well, thank you. That's very you're much welcome. appreciated. Yes. So I'd like to let our audience know that if they'd like to check out the catalog, there are CDs, books, and tapes. Um, there's a CD, Lucid Dreaming, on the website, www.dreamschool.org. You can find 25 most commonly asked questions about dreams, 10 reasons to remember your dreams. There are question and answers. There is just an abundance of information on the website, so please go explore. We'd love to have your feedback and connect with Dr. Condren and other faculty members that you feel are of interest to you. So, Dr. Condren, what do you suggest people do to connect to their dream state if they don't already know how or are just not aware that they are really bringing in, in information that could be of value to them. Right. There's some simple things that we teach people um, at our lectures and classes. Um, one of the, the simplest things that you do is you get a notepad, like a stenographer's pad, and a pen, and you place it right by your bedside. And um, that's with the expectation that when you wake up, whatever you have on your mind, whatever you remember, you're going to write down. Um, if that stimulus is not enough, then um, the next thing you do is before you go to bed, the last thing before you go to bed, you write down on your pad, it is my conscious desire to remember my dreams for my soul progression. You write that down, you think about it, you give thought form energy to it in writing it down, and that's the last thought that you have in your mind as you go to sleep. Um, that usually is enough to convey to the inner subconscious mind, which is the part that's going to give the, give the dream to the person anyway, um, what the desire is. And the sub, this, is, this, is, this is where you get into uh, mind theory and understanding how the mind works, which is very much a part of, of why the dream thing happens. Um, your, your subconscious mind and your conscious mind are like two halves of a whole, and they're like a marriage. In fact, in, in much of... Um, spiritual literature, it talks about a male and female component. Um, in the Christian Bible, it talks about, and in the Hebrew t- tradition as well, it talks about the man leaving um, his mother and father and clinging to the wife, and the two become one flesh. That's the marriage made in heaven. Actually, that's talking about in, t- in consciousness itself. It's talking about the conscious and subconscious minds being committed to one another, w- functioning as a whole instead of separated and divided, um, as most people tend to live. Um, when you turn inward and you pay attention to your dreams, then that's an affirmation consciously that you're serious about wanting to have an internal dialogue, an internal commitment, an internal marriage uh, between your waking state and your, your sleeping, your, your inner state. Um, what it does is it marries reasoning and intuition in the individual. So as you express a sincere desire, the subconscious mind, its duty is to fulfill any desire that the conscious mind has. So as you are clear in what your conscious mind wants and you picture it, you image it, then the subconscious mind can reflect it, can recreate it for you. And in that, it will bring to you what you want. So if you want to remember your dreams, then it will start giving it to you. What happens to some people is that they don't remember for a long time and they shut it off and they they don't remember it for one reason or another, either because they're waking up very rudely by an alarm clock or because they don't want to look at themselves. Sometimes we don't remember dreams because of that. Sometimes we don't remember dreams because we've had a scary dream and we don't want to ever dream it again, so we just shut it down. Um, What happens then is that um, the dreams become more insistent, and quite often they do turn into what 
we call nightmares. And that is the reason for a nightmare is that you haven't been listening. I often, when I, when I uh, give lectures to people that you know, want kind of a basic lecture or overview of dreams, I'll talk about it like a mother or a well-intended parent who has a child, a, you know, a five-year-old who's playing out in the yard mm-hmm. and he's wanting to run out in the street, you know, chasing a ball. And so yes. at first, you know, the mom's going to go out and go, honey, you know, you need to stay in the yard and there's traffic, you know, ex- explain the whole thing. And then, you know, she goes about her business and then she realizes there he is again in the, in the middle of the street. And so, you know, she gets a little bit more concerned because he's not getting the message. So this time she brings him back into the yard and, and is a little bit stronger with him, a little bit more um, insistent that he stay in the yard. And so then if he does it again, then, you know, pretty soon after about the third, fourth, fifth time, she's going to start yelling at him a little bit because it's not getting through, and it's very important. And now her anxiety levels stop, <laughs> and she's stressed, and her emotions are involved, you know. So yeah. this is kind of this is like a nightmare, you know, where you haven't been listening, and so the first dream was, you know, kind of a nice dream, you know, really pleasant, but you just let that one pass by. And so it, the subconscious keeps trying to get its message across, get its message across, until finally it'll put some things in there that you will remember um, and you won't forget when you wake up. So that's how we get our nightmares. So the, the moral of that story to me is pay attention to your dreams so you don't ever have to have a nightmare in the first place. You know, yes. If you're communicating, then mom never has to yell at you because you're out there for the sixth time in the street. You, know? you catch it you're, before you're getting you fall it early. in the pit. Yes, I can see that. That's very true for myself. As you say that, I'm getting all these different pictures of things that I was, you know, a few years ago when I wasn't clear and Mm -hmm. they were trying to tell me and I wasn't listening. Right. That's funny. So, yes, that's very true for myself here. Very humble. (laughs) That's fun. That's great. So all dreams, in, in, in the book, The Dreamer's Dictionary, which I want to say is an amazing tool to really help people interpret their dreams. It gives so much information. It gives there are four components, and you give a word and a symbol and its meaning in the universal language of mind. Then you give a more in-depth meaning on the langu- in the language of mind excuse me, and possible contents of the symbol. You offer the physical derivation of the word and then just some, a few thoughts to think about regarding the idea, maybe why you've had the dream, or to bring some awareness. And I was looking through it, and I thought, wow, this is so great. If I had had this, I could take this with all my old journals. <laughs> mm-hmm. It makes right. sense of what's been going on. <laughs> right. I feel empowered. <laughs> There's so a point in the lessons, um, as people get into the second cycle of our course of study, where they actually go back and review all of their dreams since they began studying and oh, yeah. look at it for what it tells them in terms of how their consciousness has grown and changed and developed. And that's a most phenomenal exercise for people to do. It's that so revealing. Like so much fun. So much it fun. is. It is. It's great delight, and people get so much out of that. It's like I, I call it their spiritual autobiography. Oh, that's, yes. what yes. that's what your dreams are. Yeah. And doing it with a group makes it seem like it might be a little bit more safe because you're all being revealed. <laughs> right, right. Not, not alone. <laughs> That's, That's true. Fun. That's great. So in the book you do, I want to really reiterate this point, that all dreams are relevant messages to and about the dreamer. Right. Even when they're visitations or precognitive, they still are very um, revealing about you and your state of consciousness, your state of awareness. Um, 
we're doing more and more research right now, and, and eventually we'll have some books out about this too, about all the different kinds of subconscious abilities that um, make themselves known in dreams. There are people that dream about past life experiences. There are people that dream about probable future experiences, which end up be, being precognitive dreams. There are people that actually have inner-level experiences where they meet um, People who have either passed on, loved ones who have passed on, that's very common. Mm-hmm. What's less common is meeting master teachers, um, I had actually an getting together for classes, things of that nature. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, so um, all of that needs to be explored more, and we're we're collecting the, the data for it now so that eventually we can put it out to people so that they can – they can see what does happen and then figure out what they want to think about that. You know, I mean, it, it's not that we're here to try to, to create a new religion so people believe things. It's that we're here to um, honor people's experiences and put it in some kind of context that makes sense and that can be usable and is universal so that we can all derive something great from it. And that really is the, the kind of outlook that we have in all the work that we do of this nature. It is so exciting to me. I have a new tool here. I'm going to be on dreamschool.org all the time, interpreting my dreams, making sense of so much, and I think just feeling really validated. (laughs) That's great. I'm glad to hear you say that because that's why it's there. There's all kinds of levels, you know. There's all kinds of things you can figure out and and research without um, any kind of expense. And, you know, we're not for profit and we function on donations. So um, when people want to contribute, that certainly helps us do our work and expand it and produce, you know, more and do more and all that. But um, it's also available there for anybody who wants to learn. And then you can go anywhere you want to with it from there. Beautiful. So www.dreamschool.org or www.som.org, either website is great to connect with the information we've been discussing, Dr. Barbara Cundren, her wonderful book, The Dreamer's Dictionary. And, you know, she has a few other books I'd like to mention, The Work of the Soul, How to Raise an Indigo Child, 10 Keys for Cultivating a Child's Natural Brilliance, which you'll be back to talk about on Evolution Revolution in April on the 10th. I'm excited about that. And every dream is about the dreamer, spiritual renaissance, elevating your consciousness for the common good, and many, many other titles. There are also some other wonderful books by other faculty members at School of Metaphysics, such as Dr. Laurel Clark. And so check out the website, explore the books. There are many resources and tools available from this great group of people that can help you facilitate your spiritual growth and help you to evolve into the divine, beautiful being that you are. (laughs) So I would like to share with the audience some announcements. So explore your dreams and see if you can find your higher self offering you divine messages of love, light, guidance, and truth. Before dream time, ask the universe and your higher self to align you with the information that you are seeking currently in your life. And keep a journal near the bed to write what you receive. Trust and you shall receive. Happy dreaming. <laughs> if you are on the good West advice. Coast, isn't that fun? <laughs> it is. It's great advice. Yes. Yes. So if you're on the West Coast of the U.S., change your clocks this Saturday. Spring forward is here. More light. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up on March 20th is Dr. Susan Carroll to talk about her unifying book based on the oneness, becoming one, people, and planet. And for April on Evolution Revolution will be Dr. Barbara Cundren back to enlighten us about indigo children with her book, How to Raise an Indigo Child. 
And on April 17th, Taylor Wilshire will be back to share about her newest novel based on A Course in Miracles called The Book of Mom, which will be available for a Mother's Day release. I am also honored to announce that Neil Donna Walsh will be appearing on Evolution Revolution on April 24th to discuss his latest book release, Happier Than God. I look forward to you joining me then. Of course, as always, all the Evolution Revolution archive shows with inspirational authors and teachers can be found on the Evolution Revolution homepage, free of charge, 24 hours a day. The archives include Charles Virtue, Michael Tamura, Marla Martinson, Michael Brown, Richard Blackstone, Betty Young, Jennifer Weigel, and many more. Please go to the website and explore. Indulge and fulfill yourself with the with all the love and light that these wonderful, gifted individuals have to offer. Please share Evolution Revolution with others who may desire to join us in the future for an enlightening experience. I am a metaphysical teacher counselor who offers clairvoyant readings via phone, allowing people to connect with me from anywhere. If you are interested, you can find my information on the Evolution Revolution homepage, or you can simply email me at lightforall at gmail.com. A divine and spiritually enlightening experience awaits you. Dr. Barbara Cundren, thank you so much for coming on Evolution Revolution tonight and sharing the information about the global lucid dream experiment, the School of Metaphysics, your wonderful work with the Dreamer's Dictionary, and just all that you're doing there at the Institute. I just want to thank you. Thank you for having me, Dulcinea. It's been it's been a pleasure, and I'm so glad to make your acquaintance and to to just receive you. Um, you are truly a great light, and it's a pleasure to to spend time with you and and with the with your audience. Thank you very much. Thank you. We look forward to talking with you very very soon and hearing about the the final results from tonight. <laughs> That'll be great. That'll be great. great. I look forward to it too. Great. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you. You too. All right. Much gratitude to you for listening and supporting Evolution Revolution. I wish you all abundant peace, joy, miracles, and light. Angel blessings. Good night. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. No matter where you're listening, around the world, this is Sedona Talk Radio.